Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Natural Running Network. We are brought to you by Mio, makers of the world's first strapless heart rate monitor sports watches, and MedHab, makers of RPM Squared, an innovative system of gait analysis that slips right into your running shoes. My name is Richard Diaz. I am your host. Are you a runner? Do you love to get out and challenge yourself? Running your first marathon or maybe caught the bug of obstacle racing? Well, sit tight because this is a show you just don't want to miss. I'm with Jonathan Albin. He, I believe, resides in London. Is that where you're at now, John? Uh, it's Norway, Bergen, Norway. Norway. Oh, yeah. well, I thought you had moved. I thought you had moved yeah, back. Yeah, I, so I, I was in London up until last year. About this time last year, I moved up to Norway. You're a moving target. Uh, so, I'm, so I'm here in Bergen now. What's that like? Uh, it's a bit hillier than London, that's for sure. Right. But it rains a hell of a lot more. Oh, wow, wow, wow. So uh, just to uh, allow our audience to know who Jonathan Albin is, you are, according to many, the number one in world obstacle competition. You've won the OCR World Championships, and you've won the Spartan World Championships. And here we are heading into world championship season here in the U.S., and you're going to come over and, I think, cause a lot of problems for the, the local boys. Yeah, hopefully. Um, it'd be nice to be able to replicate what I did last year, but we'll see how it goes. And Obviously, it, the races uh, are always different. So Yeah, of course they are. And you indicated to me in message that you don't love altitude, to put it mildly. Yeah, I think uh, I've never had any experience with altitude up until this year. And the experience I've had this year hasn't gone so well. But, um, yeah, it's a learning curve, but it's one hopefully I'm getting on top of. Um, Yeah, I think uh, my sort of how I race, I end up sort of, or in any obstacle race, to be honest, it usually starts quite fast. It's quite hard and fast. And in the longer races, then you need to sort of calm down and recover and then sort of set in for the sort of long haul, whereas altitude is very hard to recover once you've already gone over that threshold. So that's the problem I've had so far is I've pushed myself too hard in the opening hour and then pretty much died and been unable to sort of recuperate. Well, but it seems to me that you've been preparing yourself. What drew my attention to you, I'll just tell you right up front, what drew my attention to you is that you've been having some success in these sky races, which I have a tremendous amount of respect for. Yeah, thank, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, but I've done three sky races now, uh, two this year. One was the Dolomite sky race, which is at elevation, and I didn't really do very well at all. But then the one up in Tromso was a longer race, so I did a lot better in that race. It kind of like re- reconfirmed my suspicion with my lack of um, being prepared for altitude. Well, it turns out that these events where we're talking world championships are running events. And the 
concern that the competition has where you're concerned is that they know you're fast and they know you go well for long distances. So um, you're basically the rabbit, right? Yeah, I guess I, I'm, I'm more of the runner end of the spectrum when it comes to an obstacle racing uh, body type. Well, and that's going to be critical in, in this event. I know a lot of guys have complained that in Spartan Series events that guys that are lighter of build that are not quite as capable of dealing with obstacles or carrying heavy loads, um, they can burpee through some of these obstacles, in which case they're quick enough, in your case, quick enough to catch the leaders uh, that have gone well through the obstacles. What's your take on that? Uh, I guess so, but then I would have thought doing 30 burpees, especially at altitude, is going to take a lot of wind out of anyone, whether you can sort of like squirt them out quickly or not. But also last year in Spartan Worlds, uh, that was one of the heaviest races probably most people have done. And I only burpeed on one obstacle, which was the balance beam. And you won. Yeah, well, <laughs> only just. It was pretty close between me and Ryan. And like, uh, as luck would have it, I, I got to the finish line first. But um, it'd be an interesting battle again this year. Well, Ryan, I've had the pleasure of speaking with on many different occasions. I met him, and he's been racing well this year. He's been racing very well this year. And I had, for the longest time, been telling his competitors and my audience that I felt that he was the favorite in this race coming up. Spe- I'd probably agree with you. <laughs> yeah? Well, yeah, but yeah. I, I tell you what, you made me pause. You made me pause and think when I looked at this uh what's it tromasso is how do you pronounce it tromso tromso it's um it's above the arctic circle actually so it was uh quite far up north yeah and elevation as well right no no that was at sea level we started at sea level how much of a climb was it well we had to walk 300 meters vertically to the start and then the race was 45 kilometers with 4400 meters of elevation gain well, so I don't know if you want to repeat that in miles. <laughs> yeah, well, I get the sense of it. It's basically three times. <laughs> I mean, well, excuse me, it's, yeah, it's uh, it, feet. Yeah, three times in feet. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, um, uh, so what is it, Four four 4,400 meters, what's that? That's like over 12,000 feet. Yeah, exactly. Um, a lot. Three. It was three main climbs. You go up the first peak, then you drop down the other side, you go across the valley, you go up another peak, which is a really... Um, sort of technical ridge on top it was about five kilometers and the last the last bit of it was like 50 meters of grade three scrambling and then you drop back down and come back over the same peak you came before so it's all in three climbs yeah well i, I looked at the elevation chart that i think you posted on one of your blogs i looked at that and i thought well that's treacherous it was a very treacherous <laughs> event and yeah, I, it was a lot of fun are you familiar with joseph gray uh no joseph gray is an american uh, mountain runner he he's competing in Europe often, representing the United States, and he he does this type of thing too, which is essentially where my education came into mountain running and this uh, sky racing. Mm. I think it's really good stuff for obstacle racing to participate in those type of events because at the end of the day, all of these obstacle races are done off road and learning to navigate over technical terrain and dealing with elevation is critical to success in these world championship events, I believe. Yeah, it's um, 
not only that, I think it's a very more, it's a much more human way of running anyway, being able to make your own path or pick your way over technical terrain. Because, I mean, obviously, back in the old days, roads weren't really a thing we had. So it's like a great fitness and skill to have to be able to run in that sort of terrain. Yeah, this is where I'm going with this, is that you don't know me, but let me just share with you, I'm a running coach. And that's essentially my claim to fame is working with athletes and helping them to improve speed and agility and endurance and such and such. I look at this as a voyeur. I mean, I'm really not in a place to be able to participate in these type of events. But uh, I look at it like a Rubik's Cube and how do we solve the problem? You know, what is it that we need to do to prepare to get into this game and, and, and do well? And I've said this with many people and I want to share my thought with you to see what you think. But you can train your way up into body strength and be able to navigate through most of these obstacles fairly, I don't want to say easily, but you could prepare for it quite readily. Short period of time, Mm. you could develop the strength to do what you need to do. And when I say short period of time, I'm talking about inside of, uh, you know, three, four months, you can really hone yourself to be able to carry your body weight, assuming that you didn't start out with a a lot more weight than you need. Yep. As opposed to developing running skill, which is kind of a lifelong endeavor. You have to spend a lot of time and you put a lot of miles in to uh, develop that talent. Would you agree? Yeah, and ultimately with running as well, you actually have to love doing it because it is about putting in the miles, And but then it's about psychologically not thinking you're having to put in the miles. It's about looking forward to running and going out and doing it effortlessly because then it's going to come a lot more natural and you're going to get better at it without thinking about it because anything forced isn't going to be quite as good as uh, uh, just gain through the love of it sort of thing. Right. And I think that just the nature of developing strength is it's not as... Uh, the setup isn't as complicated. You could visit a place where there's man-made obstacles available for you to train on or you can develop your own and you know within a matter of a 45 minute workout you can get pretty much anything you need to get done as opposed to yeah most of it as well remembering what you used to do as a kid because most kids can do these obstacles better than adults um and it's just about if if you give someone uh, an obstacle and just let them play on it for 30 minutes chances are by the end of that period they would have remembered or worked out how they would have done it as a kid Whereas um, running is not quite like that. It takes a lot more time. You know, we train in the morning. As a matter of fact, this morning, we, we have this little park we go to. And it's a fabricated playground for children. And it's funny, we're looking at the sign at the playground this morning. And it says, this site is developed for children between the ages of two and five years old. There's a lot of upper body hanging and maneuvering over monkey bars and cargo nets and things like this. And we use that to train. And and I find it convenient, for one. It's outdoors, which is good as well. Like for this example this morning, we brought weights out to the park to use in conjunction with the training we do. But you're right. It's like children get in there, and every now and then a a kid who is waiting to go to school and got there early will uh, show up and and just make us look foolish going all over <laughs> these, you know. So it is. Yeah, it's, it's funny. It's great to see. Yeah, their strength to weight ratio. They just they're little fellows, and they <laughs> and they've got the strength to do what they got to do, and and, and, and it's they're fearless as well. <laughs> yeah, fearless exactly. I wanted to ask you, comparatively speaking, because you're actually the only European that I've spoke to in this sport. Uh, comparatively speaking, 
competing in Europe in Spartan racing or obstacle racing uh, relative to what it's like here in the U.S.? What, what would you think the gravest distinction is between the two areas? Um, I couldn't, I don't, to be honest, I've only ever done three or four obstacle races in the States. So do you want, do you want a question between the actual races or between... Well, just the, the entire environment. I mean, uh, the people that you're dealing with, the way they approach the sport. I mean, is there a big difference between what we're doing and what they're doing? I don't think you found, especially in the UK, it's a lot more relaxed because... Um, I mean, we, we created, we practically created the uh, sort of like pro elite obstacle racing scene. So it kind of, we kind of did it how we thought it should be done sort of thing. So it kind of evolved from nothing. So I, I would like to still think that everyone still really like sort of happy, chatty. When we race, obviously we're racing hard. But apart from that, we're, we're all good friends as well. Um, in the States, I'm not sure if it's a lot more sort of like competitive. So people, I don't know. It's that's I guess that's my opinion. It's just when I've when I've been in the States, I guess it's a little less friendly. Really? Um, all the competitors. I'm not really sure to be honest. It's a hard question. Yeah. I've spent too much time over there, yeah. so and I haven't really got to know that many people. Obviously, me and Ryan uh, get on really well. And everyone else I spoke to has been really nice. It's just. It doesn't really seem like a sport in the UK at the moment because everyone's really competitive when we race. But apart from that, we're all primarily there to have fun. Whereas I'm not sure if that's exactly the case in the States when, when competitors turn up to race. I'm not sure they'd be there unless it was an actual race and they were in it to win it sort of thing. My observation, having come from other sports, and I've said this many times, is I felt that what drew me to it was the camaraderie and the way... Mm the people interacted with one another, even at the elite level. Now, uh, there are, as you are aware, a handful of competitors that communicate with one another, and they're obviously concerned about what, what one another are doing to prepare for races and what kind of shape they're in and who, what races they've won. So there's a bit of a competitive uh, slant to the relationships, but uh, for the most part, I, I've not had anyone be hyper-competitive, uh, dogging one another through conversation mm. and interview, and I, I've spoke to a lot. That is true. Yeah, so I don't know. I just, I just was curious because, I mean, just the simplest things that we deal with when we we travel abroad, there just seems to be a lot of differences. And I, I just wondered if it was, as you suggested, more laid back or more competitive, or how about the uh, money? Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I guess the money adds something to it in the states because there is a lot more prize money. I'd say definitely the races are slightly different, but then I'd be kind of biased because I've only taken part in Spartan races and the OCR Worlds, whereas in the UK and in Europe, uh, I'd hardly take part in that many Spartan races over here anyway, just sort of like one or two on the odd occasion, but there's so many other races that I'd be taking part in instead. Do you participate in the Scandinavian obstacle races? Yeah, Toughest um, is sort of the biggest one in Scandinavia, and they're doing like great things for the sport of obstacle racing and the, the races are just immense in pretty much every way so they've been a lot of fun to take part in this year so when you say immense are you talking about population um there, there are a lot of people go which is important because they need to make money but then in a lot of ways like grounding out how to make an obstacle race actually competitive because i mean there's a lot of things like doing 30 burpees like is that the best way to sort of penalize someone if they don't do an obstacle or even other ideas like they, they've got um two parallel lanes in one obstacle one is harder 
and one is easier. If you do the easier lane, you say you have to do like a crawl or an under over obstacle as uh, as well afterwards. If you do the harder lane, you just carry on running. Uh-huh. So that that gives people that prefer obstacles and are not good runners or not as good runners the ability to overtake people that aren't as good on obstacles, and it gives the general public a choice as well. Like that, you can either do a uh, monkey bars or you can do a flying monkey where you've got to sort of leap between the bars if you know what i mean like you've got to swing right. let go and grab onto the next one right so i mean that's really great to see like more difficult obstacles coming out but as an option because otherwise if if they just made really difficult obstacles 90 percent of people wouldn't be able to do them and obstacle racing wouldn't be as fun no that's cool it's a very interesting uh, outlook i think if you fail an obstacle as well they've always got well graded penalty loops so if you did fail the monkey bars because it's quite a hard obstacle well, it takes a bit of time or something like that. You'd have to pick up a tyre and run 100 metres down, round a flag, and 100 metres back again. <laughs> um, so then, and if you complete it, you just get to carry on running. Oh, cool. What about uh, the cash purses in Europe as opposed to the United States? Are, are they wealthier, less? What, what's the deal? Uh, there's some races which are similar, but nothing on the level of the World Championships. Mm. Um, to put it in perspective, for a toughest race... Um, I'd get 10,000 Swedish kroner if I win, but then there's no prizes for second, third, fourth, fifth, and they're in the league events, and then what you have to do is you have to get a minimum of four events to participate in the final, and the final is like a chasing start, so the person with the most league points starts first, and then you get the amount of points you're behind is the amount of seconds you start behind. Oh, wow. If that makes sense, then whoever wins that race gets about four and a half thousand pounds. Um, and the lease of a mini a car for six months. Wow. So, I mean, it's still not on the level of the States, but it's um, it's enough to sort of uh, get a good payout sort of thing. And there's other races, especially in the UK, that do £1,500 if you win. So it's not quite up there, but it's um, it's still good enough. Well, that's and actually pretty good. Some other sports. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, no, that, that's pretty good. Com- to running running races and whatnot like when i did well in a sky race someone i I was asked the question obstacle racing pays quite well does that does that sway you if you could take part in a sky race an obstacle race would you pick the obstacle race because you could get more money so obviously other sports do see that there is quite a lot of um, money to be to be won in obstacle racing if you can win them yeah well, I know a lot of athletes that are kind of migrating into the sport from other sports because they feel that they've got good running skill and the rest of it they just think that, well, if I, I work out these other details, then I can be in contention for a win. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah, definitely. And that, well, that's, it's good to see. And in Scandinavia, we're seeing that as well because um, it's not just the runners that are coming over in the triathletes, even cross-country skiers because it's in their off-season, and they've already got quite a lot of upper body strength, and they've got a hell of a cardio um, output. So it's just it's great to be able to see so many different people from so many different sports racing in one race and seeing who, who comes out on top. It is cool to see. Are you going to be competing in all three of the world championship events in the country? Um. Uh- I'm going to be at Spartan Worlds, OCR Worlds, and uh, talking of Toughest Mother. Yeah, I know you're going to do that as a team. You understand that the, the purse is really uh, swelled up in that in that event? I'm not sure if we've announced it yet. There are, yeah, possibly. 
Well, what I've heard, and I don't know whether it's uh, true or not yet, but I heard that they're talking about offering up a hundred thousand dollars to first team if they break. Yeah, if they break a hundred miles. Yeah. But I, if I'm, am I right in saying that Ryan has done ninety-five miles? Is it last year? He hasn't broken a hundred miles yet, right? He did. I think one year he did a hundred miles, but not in Las Vegas. In Las Vegas, I think he oh, okay. did like ninety-six. But but yeah, but he stopped early because he wasn't going to lose. So, but the the interesting thing when you're looking at it from a team is it it it's four people that could get injured or could have a problem or something could the wheels could fall off in some way. So it's just sort of like that extra uh, percentage of uh, possibility that something could go wrong. But um, it'd be great to give it a good crack. Well, I heard money. that uh, Ryan is considering going to a team event for the Yeah, Ryan. I've heard that too. And I spoke to Hunter, and he's talked about his team, and he felt pretty comfortable that they could uh, they could show up pretty well. They won last year. I think there's a team they did 85 miles, which is certainly shy of where they need to be. But he suggested mm. that everybody on his team is stronger and more capable than they were last year. So. I guess there is well, there's the strength and capability. But I mean, I've never run 24 hours, and I would have thought at the end of the day, it's the psychological side of things and just the resilience, which it will come down to last. So um, it'll be it'll be great to sort of have a go and interesting to see who comes out on top. It's going to be a brutal event. Yeah, it's, it's kind of clever as well, because I guess if uh, they put more emphasis on the team event uh, rather than a single, that fits in with the whole Tough Mudder sort of um, uh, image or how they do things anyway, because there's a lot more about the comradeship and all that sort of side of things, let, let alone about the, like, the single athlete. So it'd be, be great to see some teams battling it out around the course. Have you done anything... I'm, I'm sure you have, but I'm just curious to pick your brain about it. Just, uh, specific to preparing for world championships aside from, I'm assuming that to some degree you've gone into this sky racing with the intent of improving your ability to run for world's championships, or is it just that you enjoy doing it? To be honest, whenever I've trained over the past four or five years, it's, it's always just been I've sat down and I thought, like, what sort of athlete do I want to be or how, how, what sort of fitness level do I want? And then gone for that or just tried to sort of think, like, what what fitness should a human have and then train for that to tr- train about just for everything, really. So I think I haven't really changed my training at all for sky racing or for the World Championship obstacle races. They've just kind of fitted in together because I've literally just tried to train to be as fit as I can be. Do you feel, and I... I've tried to pull it up and find your history in it. Are you more capable, do you believe, in the longer events, or are you just as capable in the shorter races like the sprints? Uh, I definitely feel as if I am um, more of a long-distance athlete. Uh, mainly well, for two, two reasons, really, that I've found, is the fact that I don't cramp that easily, so I don't get cramped very much. And energy pro- gels, products, sort of sugary snacks have quite an effect on me when I run. So I often feel as if I can keep one even pace through an entire run and even get faster and start pushing towards the end uh, uh, while other athletes drop off. And that's a lot better for me psychologically as well because I'd much rather run an athlete into the ground um, and see them sort of fatigue and then I can win slightly more easier because I've kept the same pace rather than trying to bust a lung to gain three seconds in a sprint finish. 
I can see one one of those scenarios being more enjoyable. I I, I enjoy the long distance one more. <laughs> so you'd rather take the anaconda approach and just choke them down slowly as opposed to rupturing along, try to beat them quickly. <laughs> Practically, yeah, but then it doesn't even feel like I'm trying when I run long distances because if you do it right, you hold the same effort level, which is one where you actually get to enjoy what you're doing. You get to look around, you get to like see the nice views, you get to sort of actually enjoy the feeling of running because you're not busting along. And yet, slowly and surely, you're grinding everyone out of the race. Do you train technically? Do you look at your heart rate? Do you consider things like this? I have started looking at my heart rate this year, but um, I have to be honest and say I don't really know what I'm looking at too much. Um, Very just looking at sort of like what what zones I'm in and sort of what zone I can hold for a certain amount of time and how each zone feels. But that's about it, to be honest. Yeah, well, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm also very uh, uh, comfortable in is I, I do diagnostics, I do VO2 testing on athletes, and I've actually written a book on heart rate-specific training. And I'm curious to, to hear whether that was something that you, you took into consideration while you were training or was it just a natural gift for you to be able to run long and just have endurance and pacing strategies kind of inherently? I think I've always just used the... Um rule of thumb if i can smile and say hi to one of the marshals then i'm running comfortably and if my head's down and i'm gasping for breath then i am not um the only the only thing i have started doing lately and i'm going to test this in a sky race at the weekend is especially at elevation trying to use a, an alarm on my watch so i don't go over um threshold into zone five okay Hopefully that means at elevation that I don't go into the red zone and I can continue racing rather than busting myself out too early. Yeah, well, that's probably good. What what race are you doing? Uh, it's the Old Tracks Matterhorn Sky. Oh my god! Start in Zermatt, Switzerland. Oh my! That and that's quite an event. Yeah, it's um, going to be probably one of the biggest races of my life. Actually, I've only I only entered last week off the back of the Tromso. Uh, win and I figured uh, sky racing if if you can stay injury free doing it it gives you quite a kick of um, quite a kick of fitness so why not go for it you only live once so it should be a lovely place to go and visit I saw the uh, uh, the video clip that was done with Killian Journey doing this the uh, Matterhorn it, it yep. just seemed like a treacherous event uh, I'm not yeah it's um it's been described to me as more runnable than Tromso so hopefully um so not quite as steep, but still very steep and slightly less technical terrain. But it's a sky race after all, so that means it's going to be a hell of an event, yeah. So sky racing is really a big deal in Europe opposed to the United States. I think that they've, you've guys got a head start on us with that sport. Yeah, I think um, there's a couple of things with sky racing that I like, and it's the, the technicality is one of them because you can have mountain races and like the mountain running World Cup or whatever, but ultimately, it's normally quite a level track which is just it goes up and down a bit whereas sky racing you're actually going to the top of mountains this is like hardcore stuff um i know there is a difference in rules because in europe you're allowed to cut switch back so you're allowed to cut off off path as long as you can see the next course marking so you're allowed to make the the course even more dangerous if you want if you feel you can go down that way and make it faster whereas in the states i'm pretty sure that's not allowed because you have to stay on track yeah, I think that uh, 
I think that the notion of just saying, ah, I'll just go ahead and go straight down, <laughs> opposed to the switchback, is a dangerous proposition. Yeah, but then you actually, it, once you get into it, you actually find it's probably a bit safer, I think, or, uh, yeah, to be honest. I've, I've seen more people have injuries trying to keep turn on switchbacks and keep taking loads and loads of steps rather than taking fewer steps as they go a straighter way down. Wow. It's, it's definitely fun to see, that's for sure, because it really is uh, an amazing sight when you see someone running downhill fast. When I did an interview with Joseph Gray, uh, it was right after he had actually won. It's uh, a race in Mexico. forgot the, uh, the term in Spanish, but essentially it, uh, it's for savages only or something like that is the name of it. <laughs> And it's Excellent. yeah, it starts so at you have to run with a knife. Yeah, it starts at about eleven thousand feet, and goes to sixteen thousand. Oh, wow! And, so that's and, uh, quite high up. Yeah, and then back down. And I think the the course was about uh, a half marathon distance. Yeah. And uh, just the boulders and the the shale and what have you that you have to run on, it's just scary to me. When you talk uh-huh. about cutting the switchbacks and going straight down, yep. that's something that he's pretty much a master of, and and I, I it just scares me to watch it, let alone try to do it. But yeah, the, it's, uh, it is it is kind of crazy, but then once you get into the flow of doing it, um, I, I'd find that a lot less crazy than say I don't even like riding my like road bike downhill that fast anymore. I've turned into quite a wuss because I just think that that is like beyond human speed. We're still running downhill. It might even seem a bit crazy, but at least you're actually going human speed. If you fall over, invariably, if there's not a cliff, you won't die. Whereas if you come off, say, your bike or you're driving fast in a boat or something like that and something happens, you are going to die. At least you haven't got to worry about that with running too much. Right. Well, I come from triathlon. I've competed in many triathlons over my lifetime. And I, I have gotten to speed, pretty pretty radical speeds on my bike. And there's an eerie calm that goes off when you're going down a steep grade in the in the neighborhood of 60 miles per hour. Mm. It's kind of scary. Uh, so <laughs> I'm with imagine. you, and you know, and you know that if you fall, that it's over, or you're going to wish it was over. Cause Whereas running running is a very human speed. Like we, we we're not going any faster than you would have done a million years ago, really. Well, but then the other end of it is if you fall off the cliff and you're tumbling down a mountain, that's regardless yeah, of whether it's human speed <laughs> yeah there is that with uh sky racing definitely. it's a function Especially of gravity right in tromsa we were running quite like along a razor sharp ridge and it was um it was a, a kind of a blessing i guess because it was it was so cloudy and so rainy we couldn't really see what's around us but i think if it was a clear day i would have thought twice about some of the sort of moves i did when i was up there have you are you familiar with uh the tour de giants uh no it's uh, an ultra marathon that goes over, I think, four of the steepest mountain ranges. Uh, I think it uh, goes through Italy and uh, th- th- that whole region there. It's about mm. 205 miles. Wow. Un- unsupported. That's pretty much what you're talking about. But given that it's unsupported and there's no aid stations, if you fall, go off the side of a cliff, there's nobody there to know you went. You just, you're yeah, just, you're you're just gone. Yeah, you're dead. I don't know. But then uh, I guess you can carry GPS trackers. You can have people following as you go, maybe. But yeah, or they can find they, you they, later. They, yeah, they, they are practically they just see your max, you, your running speed go up quite a lot for a short amount of time. 
I see that you've been delving into a little bit of duathlon and triathlon, though, huh? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I try and enter lots of different types of events just because it's quite fun. The thing that keeps me from too many triathlons is the swimming because my swimming technique's just not not anywhere near enough to be competitive. So mm. I still try and swim once a week to sort of like stretch out and try and improve it a little bit. But mm. if I really did want to try it, triathlon, I'd have to sort of get in the pool three or four times a week religiously every week. Mm. Uh, I saw, so that kind of holds me back. Yeah, I saw um, a post, uh, I think it was an Innovate site, where you essentially gave 10 tips for obstacle racing. And Possibly. That's, yeah, yeah sounds familiar. Yeah, and uh, the first tip you offered up was that you need to operate outside your comfort zone. Can you expound on what you were thinking? Um, well, I guess you, you, your comfort zone is being clean, dry, warm, and running with a pair of headphones on sort of like and everything's perfect on the pavement sunny day whereas an obstacle race it's never it's never like that like you don't listen to music you've got gravel in your shoes you're covered in mud your head's just been dunked underwater your hands hurt you're having to get on your knees and it gets scraped or you're running through bushes like a lot of people unless you're used to doing that sort of thing that's a whole nother side of obstacle racing you have to deal with and before you even think about having to go over the obstacles it's just that thing that's grinding you down, which is all the little things, which not many people, I mean, it's kind of strange. No one really nowadays even runs with wet feet. Like, you'd run around the puddle, wouldn't you, and you just run on with yeah. dry feet, whereas an obstacle race, the first thing that happens is your feet get wet, and people are kind of like, oh, my God, my feet are wet. It's like, well, if, if you're not used to doing it, that's just something else you're going to have to conquer in the actual race. And the second thing you showed on your list was to run a lot. Running I would have thought really that to be first. Obstacle racing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then if if uh, you keep stopping to take gravel out of your shoe, I guess you're not going to be doing much running, are you? So no, you're right. That's why I want, that one's in front of the other one. I guess. But run, run, it is a running sport, and I think some people do forget that sometimes. Yeah, you could practice monkey bars every single day, but you're going to gain three seconds on me by being really good at monkey bars. But I'm going to gain a minute per kilometre more than you on every single kilometre across the course. Yeah. So it's, it's no, no question, really. It's still a running sport. So let's talk about strategy. And you don't need to give up your plan, but, you know, just for fun. We're going to toe the line mentally here for a minute. We're at Lake Tahoe, and here you are, and there's you, there's Ryan Atkins, and the rest, okay? Um, Hunter McIntyre is going to be there. Uh, Isaiah Vidal is going to be there. All these guys are going to be there. And all, all of them have been approaching their training differently, quite frankly. What is your mindset? What are you going to do, and when are you going to do it? Um, I think the, the best races I've ever had in my life are always the ones where I start, and I don't really mind where I finish. So I start, and I'm just happy to be there. I'm going to have fun. I'm going to run as hard as I can because as long as I run as hard as I can in a race, I can't do any more because that's as hard as I can go. And then I'll be happy. So that's sort of like the mindset I'd have first and foremost is the fact that it doesn't really matter. I'm there. You only live once. Kind of try and enjoy the enjoy the feeling of being there. And I kind of forgot that earlier on. But that's what I've been trying to get back to lately. Okay. Well, that makes sense. And I think that's a, a novel approach. But... In the back of your mind, do you try to analyze your competition and think in terms of 
how they're going to approach the race, or are you just oblivious to it and you're just going to do your thing? I'm not sure. To be honest, this Tahoe will be different to pretty much every other Spartan race this year. So I don't think you could really look at any of the athletes and how they perform this year and really pick one out to win because Tahoe's going to be at elevation. It's going to be a lot longer than most of the other races with a lot more climb and probably heavier, heavier carries and more obstacles. So it's going to be so different. You couldn't really analyse each athlete anyway. I know Ryan's really strong on obstacles and he's a really good hill runner um, and he's got the legs to go a hell of a long way for and quite quick but I can't really start and think about trying to stick with him especially with the elevation because I will just ramp my heart rate up too much in the opening the opening stages and then have no chance by the end so to be honest I think I might if if the heart rate monitoring uh, tactic goes well this weekend I just look at my watch try and keep myself below 170 or something like that so that means even if I have to walk the opening kilometer then that's what I'll be doing and then just run my own race from there and see if I can track people down okay and if 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 I can't track people down and I couldn't have done any more because I know if I had gone off hard I, at, at elevation I wouldn't be able to um, recover and I, I, I would probably do worse than if I'd walked the first kilometer anyway fair enough fair enough I would have guessed that would have been your approach, quite frankly. I, I could see, just based on what I've, I've learned about you, that your likelihood uh, of winning is going to be in the late stages of the game. It's not going to be because you thumped them early on, right? Definitely. It's going to be, well, If in some races I do get an, uh, an early lead, but that's just because I can operate at a comfortable rate and still have the fitness to be faster than everyone else. But that's definitely not going to be the case in Tahoe. And the, the other thing that you told me was that you don't plan on being there early. You're not going to give yourself time to acclimate. Yeah, I've done a lot of races this year. And, I mean, I've just got married. And it's like it's, it's a lot. I could spend a lot of time preparing for races. And I kind of, I guess, have to pick the ones that I spend more time preparing for or not. And Tahoe, I, I don't think I could see myself getting out there two weeks early. I mean, if anything, psychologically. I think that'd be worse for me because I end up not being able to train, which I love to do. I wouldn't really be able to run because I'm just going to be tiring myself out running at elevation. So I'd just be sitting in a hotel room probably moping around, getting bored and sort of horrible. So I've just, I think I'm just going to turn up at the minimum amount of time before because after doing some reading, I've kind of found that it's either the, the night before or two hours before the event or two weeks so I'm just going to go for the two weeks approach, uh, the two day, the two hours approach. I think. Well, you could go to the casinos at Lake Tahoe and, and gamble. <laughs> true. You know, till the and wee then, hours uh, of the night. I, then I'd have to win the prize money to pay pay off my debts. <laughs> or spill it after you won, right? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's few things I enjoy in life more than running, and being able to run every day is something I really enjoy doing. So I mean, sitting around for two weeks trying to acclimatize without moving around too much. Um, I don't know, there's there's places in Europe I could go and stay at 1,000 metres, so that's uh, better than nothing, so maybe I'll try and do that. But I definitely won't be in Tahoe two weeks early. Have you been? Have you been there before? Nope. Uh, furthest over I've got is Colorado now. Oh. Um, but mostly just on the East Coast is where I've been before. It's beautiful. I'll just tell you right now, It's uh, Lake Tahoe is absolutely spectacular. Yeah, I'm looking forward to going. It's yeah. really a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, but that's that's what, what, what cut me down so much about being in Colorado in, in Breckenridge was the fact that the mountains were so big and beautiful and lovely to run on. 
and yet the elevation was just killing me, so I couldn't run on them. So it was even worse than sort of like being somewhere flat is the fact that I couldn't even run on the bloody mountains. You may have to migrate. You may have to uh, transition to the States and hang out in Colorado <laughs> for a while. Yeah, if I, uh, if I lived at elevation, I'm sure it would help my training a lot anyway. So we'll see. How, how are you with injuries? Have you had any problems, anything that you have to contend with often? I've always been pretty good up until over the Christmas I had uh, shin splints and because I've always been quite good with injuries it's taken me a long time to learn uh, what an easy week is and what resting is and what not running is like so it's, it was only up until probably the beginning of this month that I really felt as if I was sort of running free and carefree again sort of thing as if I was like flying along not thinking about it too much so it really has been a long time trying to come back from that yeah, it's a nasty, nasty problem too. It takes time. Yeah, it's just the fact that to to really make it heal, you need to not run, and that's the exact thing that I like doing least. Have you tried any taping strategies? Are you familiar with? Uh, no, I've, oh, my legs are quite hairy, so I probably have to share, shave them <laughs> to do that. So. But um, I, I try to not to use any tape anyway. I'm pretty sure. If I have to tape up, then there should be something else I should be doing to fix the problem rather than try and disguise it. The two things I found helped most was rolling my foot on a ball. That helps a lot, especially once I found that helped a lot, I was taking the ball with me on runs and I was rolling my foot if I felt my shin hurting, especially when I got back from a run. Then every two hours during the day, just rolling my foot on it really released sort of like the inside of my cough. And then trying to stretch a lot more and just generally, not not necessarily straight after a run, like doing a stretching routine, just sort of like taking time out to do like a half hour sort of yoga routine and just sort of like stretch out and be a lot more sort of happy in my body sort of thing. You know, we have a friend that we just did a uh, episode with a couple of weeks back. Her name is Dr. Emily Spleichel. And she travels the world teaching what she calls barefoot strong. In essence, it's a series of exercises you do barefoot to develop your stability and your core strength and really just engage the ground. And she does this as a, or teaches this as a preparatory exercise to running. You put your shoes on after you've done the exercises. Mm. It's about a five-minute drill you do. Yeah, that sounds good. I mean, I think the only comparative thing I've got to that would be I got a slack line for Christmas. Oh. And I've been, I slackline every now and then. That must do a lot of um, mobilizing type muscle strength oh, yeah. in, in, in your whole body, in your core and whatnot. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's, all, it's all good stuff. I mean, there's always extra stuff you can be doing to make yourself a metal runner. It's just finding what works for you and spending the time doing that. Do you have an occupation other than uh, being an athlete? No, when I um, moved to Norway this time last year, and I was going to take two months out to sort of like integrate in, try and learn more of the language like move myself into another country and it just so happened that that was two months before the world championships so i figured i'd just train like a a dog in that time and and see how well i could do in the world champs and then when i went and won both of them i kind of we sat down and said well for a time why don't you just try and be an athlete it's like taking a gap year but not going to australia and spunking all my money away i'm like running trying to break even with the money and just doing what i love to do Cool. So that's where I am at the moment, just running and seeing how I go. Well, I think that that's the new frontier. <laughs> I think that this sport is the new frontier in athleticism. I think that there's going to come a time not too far off in the future 
where athletes like yourself can make a decent living doing what they enjoy. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the goal. And then even then, uh, working part-time would be an option. Or even after that, I've, I've played with the idea of getting like three different jobs in a week, sort of one strength-based where you do manual labor, one <laughs> sort of uh, running-based like a paper round, and then another one sort of thing, like just try and do things differently to how everyone else does it in the world and see how it pans out. Be like a sheep herding farmer. <laughs> you chase the sheep and then you cut the logs in, at night for fire and you know just the whole thing practically i mean that's probably the healthiest way of living isn't it so. <laughs> yeah I, I assume it is as opposed to me sitting on the couch and trying to watch tv for for hours on end. <laughs> but that was the first thing when i moved to norway we, we've got a little tv but i don't think we've got it out since well jonathan i'm really pleased that i had a chance to connect with you as i suggested you definitely got my attention when i started noticing that you participated in these sky races yeah i honestly believe that the missing link for many of the competitors going into world championships is the lack of depth in the running skills and so you just got put up on the list as a as a potential winner (laughs) <laughs> well hopefully we'll see how it goes I mean Spartan races they're a lot heavier with heavier carries than most other obstacle races anyway practically half the obstacles are actually carrying something heavy yeah. we sort of um, lend to a small runner that well but I made it through last year so we'll see how this year goes and then um, OCR Worlds is a lot more of a sort of obstacle racing climbing type event with the, with the running in as well so hopefully that should, be, that should go well too but there's no elevation there. No, no, that's uh, there is a lot of elevation gain, but it's not held at elevation. So I'm looking forward to that's uh, one reason I managed to get Ryan uh, more of a lead on Ryan in that race and in the Spartan Worlds was because it was it was held in sort of like a deep canyon riverbed type thing, and we were continually running up. It was like a 150 meter climb up out of the thing, I think, and then back down again. And we were doing that continually, so it was lots of short, sharp hill hill rep sort of thing and I managed with those a lot better than Ryan because I think as an athlete he prefers a lot longer steadier climb where you can get into sort of threshold heart rate and then he just holds it there sort of thing for a long time well I think that uh, I think that you, you're going to be a threat and I know they know mm-hmm. it they're paying attention and I guarantee you they'll be listening to this podcast to hear what you had to say Oh, hopefully. I mean, it'll be, be good fun finding out um, how it all goes, and I'm looking forward to the races. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how it shakes out, and I think it's going to be a one-two event. It's going to be between you two guys. We'll see. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm going to let you go. I appreciate you coming on, and I wish you the best of luck. Stay healthy and be careful with these sky races. you got <laughs> you got bigger fish to fry, my friend. Yeah, you, you might look at it that way. Some other people might look at it the other way. So we'll see. It's well, fun that I get to take part in both sports. So. Good health and best of luck to you, my friend. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Well, friends, it's time to bring another show to a close. Be sure and tune in to us next week. We've got a lot of great content in store for you. I want you to tell your friends to check us out. You can always find us on Facebook. Simply go search the Natural Running Network. Drop us a message. I'd love to learn more about you and the things you do. And until then, you have an amazing day.